Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. Jeff and I are super excited to sit down with Cameron Yap, a brilliant chef, a former junior sous chef at Attica, and my friend. How are you today, Cam? I'm so good. How are you guys? (laughs) Really, really well. Um, Cam has just gotten off uh, a week of cooking uh, for his chef special at Attica. Uh, do you want to relay the figures or at least a ballpark on Uh, how many uh, dishes you've done? Yeah, talk us through. What is it? So it's... uh, Malaysian special so we're like playing with different things from my culture so we have a laksa as the main course mm. um, grilled chicken or fried chicken ribs with satay sauce and crudités on the side and a pineapple coconut and kaya tart so kaya is like this kind of like a caramel made out of coconut milk coconut cream kaya. oh it's so good with it some was incredible. As well. and uh yeah, yeah. It's been it's been really good. It's been really busy, actually. Fantastic! But, uh, yeah, I had been, the privilege been... of uh, ordering it, and oh my god, I wanted to relive the whole experience. It was so good. It is not sponsored. Definitely order it. <laughs> <laughs> not sponsored, but go out there and get it. Um, yeah, it was fun. It's uh, it's mm. it's really interesting seeing how busy it is and how popular it is compared to like the other specials um, and the different nationalities. I could uh get represented in the specials so um mm. yeah it mm. makes me really happy mm. yeah melbourneans love asian food it is just i think so i think there's like to the identity yeah. yeah i mean there's so many there's such a huge asian community in melbourne as well yeah yeah for sure so yeah i guess like it's super relatable with takeaway food everyone's like associates asian food with takeaway food mm, absolutely actually i want to touch on that point why do you mm-hmm. think people associate asian food with takeaway food you know you don't really associate French food of takeaway food, nor That's do you true. associate Italian food with takeaway in. food. Absolutely, yeah. You let's, know, and, and I guess if you, I mean, if you look historically at it, right, like pasta and noodles are very mm. much from the same. Like, did they not descend from the same kind of? They do. It was Chinese. It's debatable that it's, it's Chinese decided. pasta. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So why do we, you know, associate? Chinese food, Asian food more broadly, with this idea of like cheap, fast takeaway food and kind of haute cuisine and like sophisticated dining with European food? I don't know, like, but like, I guess I understand it to a degree because like when I've been in Southeast Asia and stuff and all of the food is generally like street food and hawker halls and all that kind of thing. Whereas when I've been in Europe, it's always like a sit down kind of thing. There's a mm. lot less like street food. Um, I don't know culturally or the history behind it or why that is, but I I think that's why when it comes here, it is like, it's just been represented in that way in a Mm. more modern or Western like situation. Like, yeah. And I guess that's why like every neighborhood has their like takeaway Chinese shop, Mm. whether it was like, what's that? Um, noodle box. Like they used to have that. Yeah. That's good, true. but not that good kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I know so, I know what you mean though. That you make a good point. I think when people come over in terms of immigration, they bring along with them 
I guess, the culture they have, yeah. their eating habits, and that needs to be representative of them, especially mm. when they uh, give it to a wider audience. And as you were saying, French is, you know, a sit-down restaurant. They're not going to come over and start, like, grilling up on the side of the street <laughs> or, like, selling it. And, like That would be sick. Bag. I would buy it. Like, yeah, I would, I, would t- I would definitely buy it. But it's like, they're not going to do that because it's not instinctual to them. It's not, exactly. like, something it's that not... they've grown up with. And it's not habitual. Yeah, it's not built into that culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so when they come over and they and they bring the flavors they have and they bring the eating style they have, that mm. kind of gets ingrained into the local identity and we build habits around it. Humans humans are creatures of habit. We like we yeah. get accustomed to how something tastes, how something is priced, and that is just an ongoing uh, relationship that we have with eating. And that's a hard thing Absolutely. to break, which is why I think it Absolutely. has had such a staying power in terms of how we view Chinese food versus a lot of European cuisines. No, absolutely. I 100% agree. I think it's mm. a, something that people don't think about, but then it just it just keeps going that way. It's just mm. like, you know, it's very hard to change these kinds of things. Yeah, like yeah, you said. sure. You know, we were talking about something just off camera before, and I think this will in many ways improve how people view Asian food. But the most recent season of MasterChef really yep. did do a good job of introducing a lot of... I guess, more unique Asian mm. ingredients to, to the big screen. Absolutely. I always talk about the chicken feet episode. Like, I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> like, some some guy made a chicken feet caramel, which I, yeah. I don't know what that would taste like, but, you know, being able yeah, to neither, use... Yeah, neither do I. Yeah, but being able to use it and present it in this, like... It was a pretty beautiful dish from memory. It was a dessert. It was plated pretty nicely. Yeah. But to bring such, like, nice. a quote-unquote grotesque ingredient or, you know... Mm. off the off the beaten path ingredient and put it in this like nice context i I feel does reimagine and potentially start to shift how people view some ingredients that are non-standard so i think um food media has a big part to play in all this absolutely i mean i've been like i guess i loosely follow masterchef Mm. every now and then i'll like watch if i have a day off or something and it's interesting if you look at the contestants there's quite a high percentage of asian contestants Mm. Um, yeah it's fantastic it's, it's, it's fan- and yeah. of course they bring their their food culture with them or like the flavors that they know um take like Randall for example for example who like you know he makes these beautiful dishes beautiful desserts but a lot of it is like i guess asian inspired there's a lot of you know asian citruses or different flavors that mm. all come from like southeast asia or eastern asia so i guess we are getting represented a lot stronger now mm. um now and that Alyssa. it's more socially acceptable mm. for us to you know get into professions like that as well there's a lot of shows now even on netflix and stuff that delve into this like yeah. especially with david chang um like he has like shows like ugly delicious great show and they it's a fantastic show and they delve into the cultural background and the history of the food and where it comes from, why it's eaten. And, you know, like they don't mess around, like they're eating stuff like chicken feed or tripe and all these kind of things that people generally are like kind of put off by mm. and, and they're making it more, I guess, um, acceptable and approachable. And people now, especially nowadays, people are willing to try a lot more than they used to. Mm. Sure. Which is uh, which is really nice to see, actually. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I'm seeing a lot more offal on menus as well, which absolutely. I really, I really do love. Like tripe is 
delicious mm. all different pates and stuff and I, I think that does speak to the appetite from people to try new things and I, I think that is largely due to the fact of food media like showing these things and I guess when you look at big personalities eat them and they're raving on about it it does mm. kind of make you a bit more curious which I think yeah. is a really good thing I think it's a really, really good thing I think yeah I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of things now that contribute to this whole um reason why people are happy to try these things like the i guess the ethics behind everything of like zero waste and having mm. more sustain more sustainable practices which would promote using all of these parts so that the whole animal is used and then nothing's wasted which i really like i think mm. it's fantastic um so and people now understand that more and they're like okay if this is the reasoning behind it I'm happy to give it a go and, you know, support these kind of practices. Mm. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of great things happening in, in, in the world of food at the moment. I guess on that, Cam, I'm curious to kind of hear, you know, you express this dichotomy between the torture of being in the food industry, but also the pure joy that comes out of it. Can you mm. tell us more about your history as a chef? I mean, especially recent history as well with Attico. Absolutely. So straight out of high school, I went to work in a, I guess it was like a pastry manufacturing place called Sweet by Nature. And they make a lot of cakes and like pastries that get shipped out to um, different cafes and hotels and stuff. And they get like resold essentially. So like in like one day we would be making like 30,000 macarons or like 10,000 cheesecakes, blah, blah, blah. The numbers were just like crazy. Mm. Um so that was interesting, I guess. <laughs> um, going after that, I went to culinary school for six months. And then I started at Attica in my summer holidays. Um, I started as a work experience student, essentially. Um, after the holidays, I went back to school and um, realized I hated it and I wasn't learning anything. So <laughs> I went back to Attica and I stayed there kept learning eventually i got a job there and i just um kept climbing up the uh the ladder i guess starting mm. from the bottom started running different sections doing the pastry section and eventually i worked my way up to junior sue then yeah. i went traveling last year mm. did some experience in london in a nice two mission star restaurant called core by claire smith um and and I came back, worked at Omnia, this new restaurant on Chapel Street, and I'm back at Attica again. Yeah, nice. Uh, we heard through the the grapevine actually that I guess it was funny that we spoke about the Dave Chang show before that you had an offer to work for the man. I did. Can you tell us a bit more about that. I did. So my plan was this year to actually go and work at Momofuku Co in New York. Oh. Um, <laughs> obviously New York currently is not in the greatest uh position no. and um yeah it was a bit tricky not. unfortunately you know I, I don't think we're gonna pursue that sort of um that pathway but uh yep we'll formulate a new plan and uh that's okay yeah like life it's exactly exactly I'm one of upwards. those things that's it you know i think everything happens for a reason so fingers crossed we'll see what happens can you tell us your best kitchen story essentially 
I want to hear something like fucked up. Story. <laughs> <laughs> something like, super you, you know, up. like I, I've def- you've definitely Ooh, to- I guess alluded to the uh, toxicity of the culture sometimes. Yes. And I wonder when you think of your best kitchen story. Well, I guess not even the best story, but just a mm, significant a good story. One, I guess. What comes to mind? Could just uh, be also like finger goes flying. I want to hear about uh, that too. <laughs> I mean, okay, this, this actually happened to me. Um, so it was a busy night at Attica. This was maybe about two and a half years, three years ago. Um, I was running one of the uh, the hot main stations. So I was sending out a lot of the hot food. Um, and opposite my bench is where like the seafood and the proteins get cooked. Um, at the time, we were doing a marin, half a marin per customer, mm. and it was being killed to order, which is great. Oh god! Um, yeah, it was pretty full on. I can and, uh, kind of guess where this is going. Yeah, it was so full on. Um, the guy who was on that station was going down a little bit, so he was like, "Cam." come over here i need you to kill some marins i was like no worries here we go it's like my second time killing marins so i started killing them and when you when you spike the marin through through the back of its head Mm. um, which is probably the most humane way to do it Mm. of course there's a lot of juice and a lot of like um liquid inside it and sometimes it like it, it squirts out um so when I killed one of them, the liquid squirted out and went into my eye. I had no idea at the time, and no one knew, but apparently I'm pretty allergic to Marin. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, a little while after that, my eye started swelling and it just got like, it ballooned, essentially. Jesus. But it was, it was a really, really busy night. I think we had like a new dish on the menu. So, you know, everyone was just like hustling and running around. And I just kept my head down and kept plating, <laughs> kept like sending food out. And eventually like the, the the main rush of the night where all of the mains get sent out, eventually it started dying down. Mm-hmm. And my head chef at the time turned around and saw me with like half my face just absolutely swollen. Jesus. And, like couldn't even see out this one eye. Yeah. And he turned around and was like, Jesus, what happened to you? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. What, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> tried to blow it off. And I like, I think I might be allergic to something. And he's like, you need to get out of here right now. Um, and I'm like, no, no, we'll send the last of the mains and then I'll leave. And he's like, no, you need to leave. You need to go outside, wash your eye out, sit down. We need to send you to the hospital. Um, so I went outside and I sat down, washed my eye out, had a glass of water. And I was uh, calling everyone I know to try and pick me up and send me to the hospital. My mom was asleep by then. My ex was also asleep by then. Oh, no. <laughs> everyone was asleep. Desperate times. But I just, yeah, I was like, <laughs> sitting there like, oh, man, that's it. I'm going to lose my eye. It's gone. Oh, that's how it God. is. But eventually my ex picked up. She was furious and she was like, what do you want? I said, I need to go to the hospital. She's like, well, I can't take you. And 
but she lived near my mom, so she went to my mom's house and woke my mom up. And eventually, my mom came and picked me up. To her horror, you know, Jesus. her little boy was sitting out the back of the restaurant oh, with a swollen <laughs> eye. And um, yeah, after that, I actually proceeded to work and like cook marins for two years, and I loved it. I had such a ball because, you know, Did there you was something. I did for a long time. I wore like um, <laughs> safety glasses, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just like really pissed me off, so I just used to wing it, and yeah. I'd like keep a lot of antihistamines under my bench in a little, in a little takeaway, like, um, yeah, like break the glass in case of emergency kind of thing. Yeah, I um, love that. And yeah, did it for two years and. In my last six months, we had an event where the sous chefs had to come up with a dish and it was like a night where all the sous chefs put up a dish and like we served it to customers, which was really cool. And I had to do Marin because of the story obviously behind it. And uh, yeah, we did a calculation. By that time, I'd killed like 17,000 <gasps> Marins or something. Oh Jesus. my so that gosh. Was the, uh, that was the dish and that's the... And that that was that. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I guess uh, for for our listeners who aren't sure what marinara exactly, um, they're kind of like correct me if I'm wrong, a, a cross between like lobster and a prawn, like a slightly yeah. smaller kind yeah. of lobster. Yeah, so it's a native Australian yeah. freshwater crayfish. Mm. But um, I think that's the thing is like there's a big difference between saltwater and freshwater. Um, so like the freshwater craze this i don't know apparently it's something in the water that just messes with me yeah i thought they were like i thought you were gonna say it like took off like the tip of your finger (laughs) or like clipped you and like just wouldn't let go and you were like Ah, screaming around like trying to like fling it off yeah i had when i was 18 we did a dish with snow crabs and like i like it clamped onto my thumb and even when they're like dead like the muscles or however the body moves it just like goes into atrophy or whatever and it you won't let it won't let go yeah but i was like super young didn't want anyone to think i'm an idiot so i was like suffering in oh. silence out in the back and i was like shh don't let them see you cry don't let them see you cry and now i know now i know yeah oh i know how you feel i got i got pinned by a mud crab once oh Oh, that's just as bad. It's, yeah, it's terrible. It, it, was, it was bad. Dad, like, basically, uh, I was poking at it. Okay, to be fair, <laughs> I, I was asking for it. You know, like when you go to the seafood market and you buy a mud crab and they give it to you in a plastic bag. I'm like this 12-year-old kid. And I'm like, oh, no. ooh, it's moving. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I go in and I'm like poking it. I'm like, yeah, it's that it. natural curiosity. You know? And then, and then. And just like, yeah, it just clips my thumb. And I'm like oh, screaming and dad comes yeah, exactly. in, grabs like a hammer and just like starts oh. smashing the claw. It's so brutal. Oh man. It oh was, my God. Yeah, I was, I was crying so much. It's such a painful experience. I, I know where you're at. Even as an adult, I was like, oh. this hurts yeah. so much. Oh great. my goodness. That was great. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> to pivot on a slightly more serious note, Cam, we are curious as to how, you know, I guess to understanding how race and privilege operate in the kitchen as they do in real life. Do you think it manifests in very much the same ways it does in real life? 
where you know often masculinity and whiteness are privileged essentially at the expense of others or do you think that that is something that slightly differs in the kitchen because ostensibly you'd think that it's all about merit so it's all about your skills in the kitchen and that's all that matters unfortunately i think i think it's just i think racism is just gonna exist everywhere um no matter how skilled and talented you are i think some i think people sometimes can't see past you know the color of your skin or that you're different or whether you're male or female or whatever you identify as i mean for me personally i've been very much shielded from that by attica because of the culture that we've um really promoted of um Mm. you know being very anti-racism um and pro-equality um and that kind of thing but that being said i've definitely still experienced different um forms of racism i suppose um, for example, we do a lot of foraging ourselves and I, uh, one time, uh, I mean, many times down by the beach, we forage for different herbs. And whilst I was picking herbs, uh, a lady shouted at me from the shoreline. She shouted, you should go back where you came from and pick that where you came from, essentially. And I guess that kind of shook me a little bit, but at the same time these things have happened before so i guess i'm a little bit more like hardened by it and i just try not to let it bother me otherwise you know i'm going to be very downtrodden and disillusioned with the world but um yeah when i got back to the kitchen our head chef ben venturi um he found out about this and he came up to me in the middle of a busy service and he was um, very emotional. And he said, uh, he said, Cam, I hope that experience doesn't affect or change your view of society. And I was very touched because Mm. he was more upset about the experience than I was. Um, And I mean, it just shows that, I mean, like there are a lot of dickheads in the world, but there are also a lot of good people, Mm. you know, like we had a dish as well um, just before this uh, COVID started. We had a dish where it was the first dessert of the um, of the menu and the guests would come out to our backyard and they would be presented an ice cream alongside a table full of different toppings, um, which were to represent all the different cultures of our staff members. So every staff member from a different culture would... Uh, put up a sweet topping with mm. a as a danish person they they put up a strawberry goof which is like a, a marshmallow um we had sherbets we had you know something with maple syrup from mm. canada all kinds of different things um rice puffs from korea so we had um it's very interesting and it was promoting that kind of love of you know being um, multicultural but we still had, while we can like, we do our best to show that, but there's still going to be a lot of, I guess, ignorant people who say things. Mm. And like we had, and I guess people are a little bit like that when they're drunk as well. And after having quite a few glasses of wine, there was a, um, a guest who came out the back and 
they saw all the toppings and they said, oh, we won't have the Chinese one. Maybe we'll get coronavirus from it. And Jesus Christ. That didn't happen to me, but I heard about it. And this, um, it outraged me. It really did. It really did. Because, you know, here we are. We're trying our very best to promote, you know, show show everyone, oh, you know, mm. multiculturalism is great. It's It's fantastic. And this is what we're doing. Um, but we still had guests who had that um that thought 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 process and it was mm. like it it shook me a lot i was yeah. um i i didn't know how to respond to that you know like because there's not much more we can do mm. um you know it's very hard to change people's outlooks on things unfortunately yeah. i feel like it just comes from this sense like deep-seated insecurity I th- yeah insecurity fear it's a yeah. it's a lot of things you know yeah um, and i'm sure they like tried to pass it off as like a <laughs> exactly a joke. they they said it, but the thing is like they say it as a joke but a lot of the times yeah you know jokes come from somewhere and um unfortunately that's how it was received and it was uh it was very awkward you know and it's like huh yeah what do you, you know, even people say still f- you yeah yeah as a professional, you, you can't yeah. say anything. You can't, you know, tell them. You can't sit them down and say, "Listen, that's not okay." Mm. We can do our best. We can, you know, be like, "Oh, you know, we." I assure you, there's. <laughs> you're not going to get sick from this, um, but it's very difficult in a very short period of time to change someone's mind like that and change their thinking. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know that. That's the same as. What I was saying before, you just sometimes gotta, unfortunately, take it on the chin and realize that there are a lot of people like this out there. But equally, there are a lot of wonderful people out there as well. Well, I'm pretty rattled by that. I'm not gonna lie. I just feel like this is something you just anecdotes you hear about that you never actually think you'd witness. And Mm, to think that a guest would say that about, essentially, at one of the best restaurants in Australia. Serving, yeah. oh no, nah, that's yeah, it's uh, oh, it's 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 full on, yeah. it's really full on, yeah. but um, yeah, yeah it's I okay. hate those offhanded remarks though, where they that's think the they're being witty. Mm. It's like the word I remember I had a at a work training, and basically we got split out into breakout rooms in Zoom to complete this like activity as part of the training, and it was meant to be this whole week where all the new graduates would get together and you're supposed to like meet people from across the country. And obviously, nice. like, when you get in a new group... Yeah, it's meant to be this, like, very wholesome thing where yeah. you're trying to stay connected in a world where we can't all be together. I go into this room, and obviously the first thing you do is you introduce yourself. It's uh, from offices around the country, so you say which office you come from. And so it gets to me, and I just go, Hi, I'm Jeff, and I'm from the Melbourne office. And this guy just jokingly goes, like, North Korea, right? <laughs> oh, and I was like... like Dude, what the fuck? Yeah, like he, I full called exactly. him out on it. I was just like, no, like, like that is not a funny thing. And then like when I started hammering about it, he like pretended his audio wasn't working. He was like, haha, what? Did you did you guys hear me? Like those 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 offhand of remarks are the things that piss me off because it's all this many... micro. It's so violent. Yeah. It's so violent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this attempt at normalizing a racial intention that they they harbor in themselves. Yeah. And they're trying to express it in a way that is 
quote unquote like lighthearted or banter, which yeah. I think is so so fucked up. Yeah, it's yeah. The fact that it's in a way socially acceptable is really not acceptable. Yeah, I think that makes it even yeah. worse to be honest. Because yeah, like you yeah. said, yeah. Jeff, you, you almost normalize this behavior and you make it acceptable mm. to say yeah. these kind of things. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, it's uh, that was very dark, but I'm, yeah, I'm, you know. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? Uh, I, I guess from your point of view as a chef, I mean, you've obviously talked about how you know, like how wonderful the the culture is at Attica, where this sort of behaviour isn't tolerated. But do mm. you think there's more that could be done to combat, I guess, this racism and to be frank, sexism too? If you're comfortable, I mean, have you worked with many female chefs? Like, do you often work with female chefs yep. and women of colour? I don't know. I, I feel like what are the different kind of demographics that um, you have encountered as a chef, essentially? Actually, at Attica, we're quite fortunate in that the ratio of male to females in in both the front of house and back of house is very, very similar. It's almost 50-50, which is, which is great. It's fantastic. Mm, lovely. Um, I can't say it's the same in other restaurants I've been in. Um, I think, I think it's a very masculine predominant um, career path, which is interesting because of all of the, uh, it's, it's, it's strange to me because of all the stereotypes that go along Mm, alongside cooking. Um, But it is a very like, I don't know why it's so physical and macho kind of workplace um around the world but definitely in Attica it's a little bit better I guess um that's funny you should say that I just I I don't know I was lucky being in a restaurant in London run by a female head chef and owner I guess that attracted a lot of female cooks who wanted to work with and for a person for a lady like that who um who could show show them or be a good example as to, you know, women can do this too at, at the same level, if not better. I think it's interesting because, you know, the standard sexist remark is that the woman belongs in the kitchen and she's the cook. But mm. whenever you have the cook become a profession like being a chef, like the woman isn't even considered in that category or at least it's not an environment where women are typically treated with equity and equality. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, I just wonder like where, where does that like how does that dichotomy exist or like where does that suddenly transform? I you know? honestly have no idea. I think the only thing the only thing that could be a, a, a factor for me is how physically demanding the industry is, and sometimes then it gets I guess misconstrued that it's too physically demanding for women which I don't think is true at all because, mm. you know, I've worked with men and women who both can and cannot handle it. It's not to say that it's too hard for women to do because, mm. you know, I've worked with fantastic female chefs who, you know, are just as good, better than a lot of male chefs I've worked with who are mm. tougher and who can handle it and, you know, take control and um, shine. It's just one of those, again, misconceptions and uh unfortunately i guess ignorance really in, th- mm. in thinking that but uh yeah yeah 
Yeah, for sure. Man, I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm a bit keen to move it to a somewhat lighter note because mm. this conversation is dark and obviously needs to be talked about. But I would love to, I guess, as a last topic, talk about something that's a bit more positive. And I guess sure. you touched on it briefly before was that Attica as a restaurant very much so promotes the diversity of cultures that exist within Melbourne and Australia. Yeah. And as a chef and working in the hospitality industry, what sort of role do you feel that chefs and restaurants can play in uplifting uh, cultural diversity and I guess introducing that to a, a broader audience? I think it's great in Melbourne because it's already so socially diverse and we have restaurants of like all kinds of different cultural backgrounds just doing what they want to do and you know cooking however they want to cook and in a way i guess we're very lucky that people are completely open to trying all that like we have restaurants like sunda and anchovy who are you know doing asian food in a different way but we're also having restaurants like tipo and osteria ilaria who are doing like italian food in their own way and mm. Everyone is just mm. doing whatever they want and people are still eating it and people are, you know, going for it, which is really cool. Mm. Um, it's like, mm. it's, I guess it's hard to say what can we do better to improve the racial sort of stigma behind things because if we are changing our food, I guess that means that we're just conforming to what is, um, what society wants instead of, mm you know, truly expressing how, how it is. If we have to try and change it, I guess we're hiding it. And that just makes it, that to me, that makes it worse. Mm. Mm. Um, but I also feel so like, yeah. you know, a place like Attica where, you know, you're working and elevating native ingredients, you know, you're working with a lot of ingredients that I'd say the typical Australian doesn't really know mm. of, much less eat in the you know an amazing dish i think that in itself yep. you know elevating ingredients and elevating cuisines that may not necessarily be spotlighted speaks volumes especially when you consider how highly attica ranks as like a fine dining restaurant so perhaps mm. you know having restaurants and fine dining restaurants in particular elevating particular cuisines like you know we talked about before about how typically you don't really associate asian food more broadly with fine dining but you have restaurants out here, like, like Tonka, for example, that does more of like a fine dining, but in an Indian context. Absolutely. You know, like I, and I feel like perhaps that's a great way of elevating certain cuisines and I guess despairing these conceptions about what, you know, fine quality food is. Like, it, like you yeah. know, not, hawk, not all food in hawker halls have to be cheap and, I mean, obviously yeah. it's accessible, but it, it can also be quite luxurious too. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's. A, I think that's something that maybe I'd like to delve into in the future is exploring more of my food and cultural background mm -hmm. um, and cooking that way and showing these flavors are delicious and they're wonderful and they don't always have to be cheap. You know, we can do mm -hmm. these things but we can do these things in an in an elevated manner or mm. there's a there's a way to i guess showcase these things but um you know finesse them up or do something different you you you, you can kind of um showcase anything you want in a different format and make it more luxurious and more wonderful or you know just different 
and I guess that's what people can do or aspiring cooks can do if they want to, you know, do that. It's it's completely up to them. Yeah, It's all about levels though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, like, it doesn't even have to be like, oh, every food that needs to be elevated has to, you know, go through the fine dining route. Like, you know, no. like, take for example, a bowl of pho versus pasta. Mm. Pasta, you would think that the average price of that would incur between like the $20 to $30 mark and like, you know, that's reasonable. Yeah. But, Wouldn't blink an eye. Yeah, but then you think of how laborious pho is, you know, like that is a yeah. broth that typically takes, you know, an, like a... Like an overnight, like an overnight cook. To an overnight, this. yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know, the average cost of a, a fur bowl is like what fifteen? No, not even like twelve dollars. Twelve dollars, yeah. And like yeah, you absolutely. wouldn't, you wouldn't ever expect someone to pay like more than twenty dollars for fur, even though I feel like arguably the skills involved and the technical and I guess time that's expended in that is way more, mm. like it's way mm. more technical than uh, pasta. I agree. I agree. I think uh, I, I I guess it comes down to like what has become socially acceptable in 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 history, right? Like it doesn't make it right, but then it's like everyone is so used to paying $12, $15 for a bowl of fur, and then suddenly if a business was to change it, I guess people would lash out and then it would be like, "Oh no, it's too expensive and we're not going to buy it." So then from a business point of view, they can't afford to do that. But that does, that definitely doesn't make it right. And mm. you're 100% right. Like, you know, cooking a bowl of noodles, whether in a Vietnamese pho or in like a Japanese ramen or whether it's a pasta, essentially is all like the same kind of process and same kind of ingredients and same and similar labor time, you know, but the um, the price is like, so varied yeah i think that the hierarchy in terms of food that we all abide by we've placed foods in a similar fashion but that is in the lens of the west like pasta will always be above pho truffles will always be above you know sea cucumber which it's super ugly but people don't know how expensive it is it's like given as a present during like weddings and stuff it's like this little little piece of like dried craggly things but like people give value to that and i think the hope is maybe through these fine dining ventures or maybe just people eating a bit more openly and a bit yeah. more broadly that your value hierarchy for food expands a little bit and it isn't just molded by the West. Absolutely. There's elements of the East, there's elements of, you know, maybe it is South America or somewhere around the world that has amazing food. Like mm. I've like all the restaurants in Peru are insane. Like South American Absolutely. food like cooking from the Amazon. I was watching like all these videos about it, like native Amazonian ingredients. It's, it's insane. It's yeah, it's, it's really, really amazing. And I think I would just encourage our viewers again, like we said in our food for thought episode to just go out, try some different food and just expand your palate of what's Mm. out there because it's, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess on that, um, that's one of the beauties about social media now is like, it's, Mm making everything so accessible everyone knows everything you know everyone has access to the knowledge and like even on netflix is like shows like chef's table which are um you know highlighting different chefs and different restaurants from all over the world whether it's in france and in europe or in australia or in america or south america like Mm. everyone's now seeing what the world and everyone else has to offer and i guess the world's becoming a, a smaller place 
So in that respect, you know, there's no reason to have any stigma towards different cultures. What like yeah. what one culture perceives to be valuable, you know, it may be less valuable in another culture, but like everyone has different values, you know, but that doesn't make one value more important or more mm. highly sought after than another. Yeah. I guess. Wise um, words. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I try <laughs> sometimes. No, that was, yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, that was a great way to end off that topic. But I guess just as a last thing, Cam, uh, we're pretty interested to hear what you're cooking, what you're vibing right now. What, oh, eating. what am I vibing? What am I eating? <laughs> Goodness. Um, I guess, I guess my cooking has changed a lot in the last, um, couple of years i guess that comes with a bit of confidence and also being again very adventurous and trying things all the time um i used to very typically cook in a very western sort of style whereas i guess recently maybe in the last year or so i've been more interested in like my cultural background what my food background is and Mm. it's a it's strange because when i think when i go back and i think about it my family did not cook or eat out of the love of food, I suppose. We ate because we, you know, we needed to eat and we were hungry. Um, and my mom saw cooking as a chore. She would, I always remember she'd say to me, oh, Cam, you know, I do all my chores first. Like when I cook, I get in there, it's 15 minutes, in and out, we're done. And I'm like, okay, cool. But um, mm, and now right. it's like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, I yeah, don't my know. Mom's like that too. But that like has made me question why do I really enjoy cooking? Because everyone has these stories. Like oh, I fell in love with cooking because I was making pasta with my nonna, or you know, all these kinds of things. But mm. I didn't have that kind of relationship with food at a young age. Um, so it's weird. But that being said, I have been thinking a lot about my food background and. I guess that's shown through this like special at Attica, how I guess I'm happy to cook Alexa and mm. happy to use all these um, wonderful Malaysian ingredients and uh, flavors. Um, but I still love, you know, I guess a more Western style of cooking with a, you know, it's making pasta or like a pativier, which is like this French pie. Mm. Like it's Delicious. one of my favorite favorite things to do so for me it's very relaxing which is it's bizarre you know yeah. yeah it's really weird but um i love doing stuff like that just because i'm making a pativia it doesn't mean it has to be a typically french flavor like mm. you know mm. the feeling could be completely different it could be like what a curry it? it could a be curry. anything exactly that would be good with that pastry you reckon it'd be delicious yeah i yeah. Why, why not you still have the sauce you have everything that mm. could be great in a pie feeling but that's a that's the wonderful thing about the uh, I guess the time that we're in. You know, there's no limitation unless you put a limitation upon yourself. There's there's mm. none of that. You can you can do whatever you want. You can make a curry flavored pie. Why why not? Oh my god, Kim, um, making me that hungry. Honestly, sounds really good. Yeah, it honestly yeah. sounds like fire to be honest. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm sure it's been done. Like pretty much everything has been done nowadays. It's mm. just who, who has the guts to go out there and do it, right? Yeah. Like, that's what it's all about. It's all about being courageous and saying, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. Mm. And here you go. This is me on a plate. 
Oh, I love that. I love but, that. Yeah. Food can one be day, so One well. day I'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, recently I've definitely been doing a lot of this. I've been cooking a lot on the barbecue. Love a good barbie. But, I've, you know, we've done like mud crabs on the barbie recently. Done oh, in nice. like a like a Singaporean mud crab, but like cooked chili over crab? fire. Ooh. Yeah, Singaporean chili crab. Yeah. But like cooked I'll over fire. I'll tell you fire. what though. I reckon, have you had black pepper crab? Oof. Like one black time. black pepper crab trumps chili crab. Bold. That's a yeah. bold statement, but um, it's a bold statement. But I'm willing to back it. It's just <laughs> <laughs> if you can show your work, I'm I'm happy to give it a go. All right, let's you know, do it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Absolutely, let's do it. We'll link up after. We'll cook, we'll <laughs> each other crap. You, you cook a black pepper one. I'll cook a chili one, and Isabel can be <laughs> the mediator. <laughs> I'm just throwing my bust, throwing myself under the bus here. No, nah, I, nah, I love it. I Amateur love it. home cook versus like the Attica chef. Nah, not at all. <laughs> I everyone, love it. Everyone love says it. that, I, and it's just like. For me, cooking is like, it's a gift of like time and effort. And mm. everyone's like, no, nah, I don't want to cook for you because, you know, you work at Attica, you're going to judge me. I'm like, not at all. Like, yeah. if you cook for me, it hits you. Like, it's like, you know, yeah. it's so per- personal. no matter how great yeah. it is. It's so intimate, isn't it? It's so it is, intimate. Yeah, cooking for someone yeah. is so intimate. Yeah. It's like, hey, this person has spent their time, their money, you mm. know, they've gone out of their way to make this. Like, I'm not going to be a dick, you know, and <laughs> yeah. just be like, yeah. Uh, nah, nah, it's not cooked Tastes perfectly. Like shit. This is 30 seconds overcooked. You, you know, like, what a waste. I, people have that preconceived right. idea that that's what I'm going to do. But all I right, swear all to right. God. Let's do it. <laughs> you're okay. on. Okay. Yeah, no, this should be a, a nice good cook we'll, I'm excited. We'll smash it out. It'll be sick. <laughs> you know, amazing. We cook. Oh. Open up. A, that's a great thing about food. You can open up a couple of beers or mm. whatever. And it's just a nice way to connect with people, right? Like, yeah. 100%. It's not a competition, <laughs> but it is. You know. But it is. <laughs> I feel like you and Jeff uh, are both quite competitive, so it should be a good uh, If you're going to play, play to win. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, Cam, yeah. thank you so, so much for this. We have sincerely appreciate, like, just enjoyed this. This has been such a delight. Uh, me too. Um, oh, yeah. To have you on. So thank you again. It's been and, a real pleasure on my part. Yeah, as well. thank you. So, and for our listeners, make sure if you can um, check out Cam's um, Malaysian special at Attica. I think it runs until this Thursday. Yeah. This is definitely not sponsored. I will say that again. But I had it last week for no, dinner, we and it was <laughs> bloody fantastic. Um, so yeah, thank you so much again, Cam. Awesome, and thanks for tuning in, everybody. Again, if you enjoy this podcast, show us a bit of love by clicking the subscribe or follow button. Uh, we'd really, really appreciate that and would do us a big solid. Uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Thank you so much. Bye.